day, everyone. Welcome back to The Extras. My name is Jack. And I'm Sam. Good to have you here, Sam. We are, we're doing this over Zoom, which is a bit of a blast we from are. the past, really. It feels like kind of Extras, you know, 2020. Um, you are up with many of the other passes away at a conference called Reach Australia this week, so that's why we're doing this remotely. Yeah, I mean, just for those listening, maybe you could give us a... 30 seconds, what's going on up there, what's the, what's the heart, how can we be praying for the pastors and what they learn this week up at Reach? Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's nice not to be isolated from you because of COVID, um, but yes, we're at a pastors conference called Reach Australia, which if you think about it, there's missions conferences to encourage us to take the gospel to all corners of the world and they are excellent, but Reach Australia is about how do we do mission right here, right now where we are in the churches that we lead. And so we are all thinking as a team, and there's about 850 people here at this conference this week. Think about how do we make sure that St. Paul's is playing its part in the mission to reach Australia with the gospel. And so loving that, finding it super challenging, having a great time. Um, but yeah, taking some time out now to record the extras before I head back to the next session. Fantastic. And glad that you can do that. Uh, we, are, we have lots of questions that have come in about Romans 13, which we're keen to get into. Awesome. As we get yep. into it, give us a little snapshot. What, what do we hear on Sunday? What's that passage all about? Yeah, so Romans 13, Paul turns to the next arena of life that the Christian needs to work out how to live their life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And that arena is in uh, the civil realm of relating to government. And uh, it is uh, a big call from the Apostle Paul to, in light of God's mercy, submit ourselves to the governing authorities, recognising that authority is in place in any situation because God has made it so. And so to make it our effort and desire to live as citizens who are submissive to the government and the authorities that are over us uh, and uh, to honour God in that way um, by honouring the, 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 the authorities. Yeah. Nice. Helpful summary. And as you can imagine, stacks of questions about this, all sorts of things to do with government and voting, federal election coming yeah. up in Australia in the weekend. Like, yeah, yeah lots of things. Timely sermon. We, we didn't plan that, can I just say? We were supposed to be doing Romans earlier in the year, but, you know, here we are on the day before the, or the week before the election, we're preaching government. So, right. good. God knows what he's doing. Let's yeah. get into the questions. Uh, kind of helpful one to kick us into seeing the big picture here. Uh, someone's texted Romans 13, verse 1 Be subject to the governing authorities. How do we know this verse applies to every and all governments elected in the future? Well, I think Paul's language in verse 1 is um, is pretty exhaustive. He says, on the one hand, there's no authority except that which has got, which God has established. So, um, And then he says, positively, the authorities that exist have been established by God. And so I take it he's trying to cut, cut away every way of us thinking, Hey, there might be an authority that has somehow sprung up without God being in control of that. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's quite an exhaustive, uh, statement. Um, and, and I think that also fits with our wider theology of, as we think about God's sovereignty over all things. In fact, nothing happens in the world without God's control. You know, Jesus says, um, not even a, a sparrow falls to the ground, not even a hair on your head grows without God knowing it. And so I say, I take it even less so would a government come to power without God uh, ordaining it so. And I think 13 verse 1 kind of really clearly lays that out for us, doesn't it? Yeah, very all-encompassing statement. Yeah, nice. Yeah. We'll keep going. Yeah. Uh, you said authorities must serve God. How do you determine whether something is serving God? 
people have different views on each law and, and how they'll serve God. Yeah. How do we think about how government relates as a servant of God, as the passage puts it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the language of the passage, isn't it? Um, not just not just the preacher's language, but um, verse 4, um, the one in authority is God's servant for your good. So that's the way the Bible talks about them. And I take it the way that Romans 13 in particular speaks about it is that they serve by uh, both commending good and punishing evil. Um, good and evil are the, are the categories that have been running throughout Romans 12 and 13 so far. Mm. Um, previously, we were told to you know, um, uh, hate what is good and, uh, sorry, love what is good and hate what <laughs> is evil. Love good, no, yeah. <laughs> um, and now we come back to it at consideration of good and evil again. Um, they com- Governments are to commend good and punish evil. And I take it in that fashion, uh, is particularly, I think, what Paul has his mind on is how they serve God by being, I guess, agents of God's justice. God is the ultimate judge, but here is a temporal, in-time expression of justice um, executed by a human authority, and, and in so doing so, whether they acknowledge God or not, they are serving God as they um, bring about justice, I think. Yeah, it's not a real kind of general, like, they're going to serve God by praying and by, you know... No, you know, no, all sorts right. of, Like, it's a very specific, yeah in doing justice yeah couple kind of coming on from right. that someone's asked uh would you conclude from this passage that judgment slash justice is the basic function of government and that this should temper our expectations for what the government should mm-hmm. or can achieve and perhaps guide our choices in elections you know who's going to be the best servant of judgment in particular it's a great question um i think at least in the terms that romans 13 is thinking about that is the big focus i think of this section that what, what how does a government serve god uh, by by executing justice um, and seeing it done, and so yeah, and I think justice is you know God is is a God of justice, and I think our heart should be for that too, and so we should love it when governments get that right, when um, when, when justice is done, when good is commended, when evil is restrained, um, and and, uh, and consequences for evil are. are Poured out. I think that's a good thing. So yeah, maybe that should guide our guide our voting decisions, as the question kind of ends with. Um, should it temper our expectations for what the government can or should achieve? Um, look, certainly I think we want to say that's a key plank of government and we should pray for it and want to see it uh, exercised. I think obviously governments do have a broader function than that. And I think um, po- possibly you could build a bigger theology of government beyond Romans 13. Um, you know, and, and obviously as you, even if you looked into the way that God governs Israel in um, in the Old Testament and then encourages a king to govern his people. There's a broader suite of things that the king needs to be across beyond just judgment. Um, but I do think Romans 13 is really focusing us, focusing us on that in this context. Yeah, nice. So there might be more stuff going on. Like I think you look at the wider picture of the Bible and you see government has this key role in promoting good, um, not just in the moral sense, but like, you know, contributing to human flourishing, you know, in the Roman world, Paul's day, the government's, you know, building roads and building aqueducts and contributing to sanitation, like all sorts of ways they're producing kind of good outcomes for people. And yeah, I think you see that kind of facet emerge out of, yeah, Israel's king, that sort of thing. So yeah, more going on there, but maybe beyond Romans 13. I think that's right. I think it goes, that goes beyond Paul's focus here in these chapters. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Important. All right, we'll yeah. keep going. A uh, few questions there about the kind of specifics of the passage. We had a lot of questions thinking about how do we apply this to the all sorts of spheres of life. So we're going to get through as many right. of them as we can. Uh, yeah. Big one to start. Uh, how do we respond to authorities such as Donald Trump, who claim to be Christian, 
but use their words to inflame their opponents and stir up division in society. In other words, not godly and not bringing good order. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's worth noting just before we get into that, um, right now, Donald Trump is not an authority in this world. He's, he's uh, a public figure, um, you know, who, who is... Uh, speak, speaks loudly at this point. Um, he was the president of the United States, mm. but he's not currently an authority. So that's worth just noting that. Yeah. Um, uh, but he was the president. Uh, what, what's a Christian to do in that sense? Um, I think the question asks, you know, that people like this who, who might use their words to inflame opponents and stir up division. Um, that's certainly true. Um, I do think um, Donald Trump is, is also just uh, perhaps or, or was uh, taking advantage of of a widening rift and division that was actually, uh, my hunch is already appearing in society that he um, deftly took advantage of in in many you know quite um, inappropriate ways possibly, but mm. I don't think it, it, it's quite fair to say that he's sort of the the sole agent of divisiveness in uh, in the modern political climate. I think that's something that had been brewing for quite some time. Uh, so. How, do, how does a Christian respond in that situation? Um, I think even even when we rightly critique and say, look, that's not helpful or that's not a, an edifying thing to say or even do, I, I, I don't think that necessarily um, then releases the Christian from um, submitting to, to authority. However, I think it's worth noting that even um, in a kind of modern political system, and perhaps America is a little different to Australia. They don't, we don't quite have exactly the same system, but yeah. um, at least in, in our uh, two countries, I think we're governed more by laws which governments write and then uphold rather than directly by the government themselves. So it's not like Donald Trump is actually telling you to do anything. He is overseeing a, a system which creates laws, and it's those laws you have to obey, I think, in, in our modern world. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it does. So, I mean, yeah, I think there's so much you could say. Like, yeah, I think you're right. Like, it's, it's a complex issue, and you don't want to... We're, we're at risk of treating it simplistically, that kind of thing. I mean, you look at, you know, January 6th, 2021, and the storming yeah. of the Capitol Hill. Like, there's, there's obviously... Trump was involved in inflaming and sure. stirring up division, so... Yeah, you look yeah. at that and see here's someone who has, you know, abused their influence and, yeah, it's, it's deplorable. And and I think that yeah. you want to, yeah, call that out and, and pray for it to end and all sorts of things there. But as you said, like, doesn't mean that all call to submit to the government's gone because the government's bigger than just one man. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Law. Yeah. Look, there's lots of questions on the theme, so we'll keep going. More things might kind of come out okay. on this topic. So. Okay, coming to the next yep. one. Uh, this one person says, although we should always submit to authority, shouldn't we always be free, even encouraged, to criticise people in authority in order to keep them accountable in our own way, such as criticising the government in order to have a properly informed decision when voting? Yeah, great question. And, and I think I, I wholeheartedly agree with the sentiment. Um, and I think that the thing I would say, I'd say absolutely in a democratic thing, that that is your right and privilege and we should exercise it well. Um, I think it is worth noting um, verse seven, where this verse, where this passage ends, is you know, give to everyone what you owe. If taxes, then taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. So I think you can criticise in a way that is respectful and honouring of the person's position and uh, efforts. But I, I don't think that that means. I don't think respect equals you can never criticise. Um, mm. I think actually 
constructive criticism and feedback and um, you know even expressing disapproval is perfectly appropriate however the manner you do it I think is really important it, that, you can do that in an honorable and respectful way or you can do that in a dishonoring and disrespectful way um, yes yeah, so I think the manner that we go about it is quite important yeah I wonder if in the Australian context we need to hear the respect side of this um issue a little more uh we live in a country where you know criticizing our politicians is like the national pastime and certainly i feel like this election cycle um the the smear campaigns you know they've always been there but i feel like it's just personally i feel like it's stepped up to an outrageous level this last little while so yeah there's 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 no just because political advertising does it like the political advertising they smear each other right but Mm. that doesn't mean that christian has to play uh, play that game We, we can be critical without doing that smear campaign that the kind of cheap slurs and that kind of stuff yeah um, yeah yeah we want to criticize you know policy and how they actually govern and the outcomes rather than just kind of slag yeah. off the people i think that's important yeah correct all right good we'll keep going uh hi great sermon someone says there you go sam bit of encouragement for you Uh, We are Christian leaders living in a democratic society, and sometimes the public opinion is against Christian values. It's our Christian imperative to go against sin, but it is is our democratic imperative to follow the majority. For example, if the majority of people agree with gay marriage, but we stand against it, is it then sinful to allow for these things? How do we balance being being in democracy and being a Christian from a leadership point of view? Yeah, so it sounds like um, this is a question about potentially a Christian in politics being a leader who feels the the burden of needing to represent um, their constituents, um, but also uh, being accountable to God and wanting to make um, decisions informed on their conscience and on their relationship with God. I think, is that the heart of the question going there? Uh, I think we could probably take it that way, yeah. If if this was your question, apologies if we've kind of landed the emphasis a little wrong. We were trying to look out exactly what was going on, but we're going to take it that way, yeah. I guess a, a Christian sure. who's representing people who perhaps may not be Christians, yeah. How do you wrestle that yeah. through? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I think it's worth just digging a little deeper into exactly understanding how our system works. And so we, we don't quite have a direct d- democracy, which is that the leader must, you know, survey their electorate on every issue that they vote on and make sure that at every point they absolutely represent the majority of their constituencies views on every matter i mean that would be inefficient uh, and time consuming but it's also just not the model we have we have a representative democracy which means we actually represent a person uh, that that they will represent us and then they are free to uh, vote sometimes with their conscience sometimes along party lines sometimes against their party Uh, on matters as they are brought to the parliament. And so I think for a Christian in office, they need to use their wisdom, particularly when it comes to issues of ethics and morality. Um, Like I think, I mean, the question mentions gay marriage. Um, That's actually an issue that's kind of uh, happened now. Uh, I mean, the the one that we're facing at the moment is, uh, you know, around euthanasia uh, Mm. and, um, you know, end of life uh, issues. Um, And I think there is a place for Christians to... Um, Christian politicians to vote with their conscience and often party leaders give space for, uh, for, for their members to not be constrained against their conscience. And I, and I think that's an important freedom and thing that we should celebrate and encourage Christian politicians to, to vote. That they've been elected, you know, people know who they are uh, and they've been elected to vote 
as themselves. Um, does that, do you want to add anything to that, Jack? Yeah, I, very helpful all of that. I think sometimes this discussion gets um, mishandled under the heading of like church and state and our system mm. quite rightly separates church from state. And so there'll be people in the public square saying, keep your Christianity out of parliament. Like, you know, we need to separate church from state. You can't be bringing Christian ideas into this chamber. There's, there's that kind of uh, narrative that goes on in the culture. And maybe as Christians, we sometimes even kind of feel that a little as well. Um, I don't think that's exactly what the cold church and state separation is getting at. Like, you don't want the church to be the government. That was kind of the issue coming out of the Middle Ages that that whole discussion was working out. Like, we, you know, we're not going to have the church be the ones who are actually have authority over taxes and everything else. Like, we're separating these things out. Um, but we don't elect kind of abstract ideas. We elect people, who, people who come with, with a whole worldview. So, you know, we elect... Christians and atheists and Hindus and all sorts of different people to Parliament to come to Parliament as whole people. And so to bring those people and say, you need to just leave your kind of worldview at the door, well, we all bring yeah. assumptions into everything we do. Like, you, you don't have any way to contribute to those discussions about what's good and right and wrong for our society, aside from the worldview where you bring those discussions from. So absolutely, Christians should be in there making their arguments as Christians, just as well as yep. their atheists making their arguments as atheists. Like, I mean, yeah. isn't that one of the, the issues that we're talking about at the moment is about, say, um, female representation in, in Parliament? You know, one of the things we're saying is we want to have more female um, members of Parliament in order to bring all of that, all of what that brings into the discussion, because that's an important thing to have represented as part of Australia. And I, and I think I'm inclined to agree with that. Mm. Um, in the same way that I think, like you were just saying, I think we also want to have Christian voices in there because that's an important part of the discussion to have in there. And then the House, you know, as in a democratic uh, system will ultimately decide based on the numbers. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Does that nice. help? Oh, yeah. Hope, hope there's something helpful in there. That hope we touched on your question. Yeah. We'll keep moving on, mate. Yeah. Um, someone's very kind of broad. This is, this is a free kick for you, Sam. Someone's asked, um, how should Romans 13.1 affect the way we vote? Uh, and then follow up, if our authorities are put there by God, doesn't that mean we should always vote to keep them there? I'm struggling to work this out. Mm, that's a great question. Um, look, if, you, if by free kick you mean I'm going to tell you who to vote for, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> not quite what I meant, but yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do. I absolutely think it should affect the way that you vote. Um, we were talking earlier about, the, you know, Romans 13 has a focus on the justice element of, you know, punishing evil and commending good. That that should factor in. You should go and read the policies of the various um, candidates in your electorate and see what they think on various issues and uh, see see if that might inform how you vote. Um, uh, so yes, I think. Um, but I think it's also worth noting that submitting in the second half of that question does not mean that you can't vote them out. Um, in, in fact, um, in our system, again, the law which the which um, politicians you know maintain and, and change and you know um, curate, if you like, the law says you must vote if you're over eighteen and a citizen of the country, um, and so you must vote. And I would encourage you as a Christian to do it in a way that is informed and intelligent and that you, you are able to vote out. There, there's nothing wrong with voting out a, an incumbent member or voting against an incumbent member because that's part of the system that we've developed. And so if you don't vote in Australia, that's actually breaking the law. Um, so, yeah, Adam, do you want to add anything to that, Jack? Um, not heaps. I mean, just to, I guess, yeah, round the point home. Like, in our system, like, you know, Scott Morrison is currently the sitting Prime Minister, but he's not the absolute authority. Even he is under the law. And as a 
I guess particularly like a constitutional um, democratic system that we are. It's the constitution is the thing that stands at the top and says, this is how the government works. So that constitution right. has built into it uh, a way for you to vote for the people who are going to represent you. So uh, we submit to the whole system, I think. And that means, yeah, yeah, playing our part and voting someone out. Like that's an important part. That's a safeguard to make the system work well. It's one of the reasons why, you know, there's a lot of good to democracy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. Nice one. Uh, next one. My question there are many church slash Christian organizations which are quite political in nature. Why does it seem that so many seem to gravitate so much to the hard right or more, more conservative side of politics? Is there a Christian affinity to conservative politics? This person goes on to express that uh, personally they don't feel that affinity and um, find conservative politics quite difficult to uh, think about. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that's the heart of the question, I guess. Yeah. Why is there this Christian affinity to conservatism? Thanks. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's probably worth starting by, by saying, I mean, terms like conservative or liberal or left and right are, are quite broad terms. And sometimes, um, yeah, it, it's hard to kind of use those generic terms to, to capture everything. And, and they can often be a little bit, um, I don't know, depending on who you're talking to, if, if you get called a leftist or if you're hard right or whatever, we kind of use those terms to kind of almost... Um, indicate that your your opinion is no longer valid because do, do you know what i mean because we, we be use slow. label mm. yeah um so um the question is though why is there an affinity t towards perhaps the more conservative side of things i think perhaps um let's explore that first as a way of getting into the to the question yeah um, sure. i think there are there are multitudes of issues that um parties vote on uh, the party parties kind of line up behind often around issues to do with um, uh, sexual ethics, uh, to do with uh, kind of particularly, you know, the care for life, those kind of things, um, which are genuine biblical issues, right, around um, gender and sexuality and, and those kind of things. They're important things. There is a more of an affinity, I think, with the worldview of the Bible on the conservative side of things. Um, that being said, there are other issues like, uh, I remember... Uh, back in 2007 and, and in the election at that point where um, refugees to Australia was a, was a really big issue and there were, you know, um, big marches going on and we were debating that, that topic as a, as, a, um, uh, as a society. And the Labor Party had a, had a, had a, had a you know, particular view and, which was different to the Liberal Party and um, the, there is a Christian affinity with caring for the foreigner and the refugee and those who are in hopeless and desperate situations. And I think part of what Australia was expressing at that point was a desire to do something. Now, boats and those kind of things aside, there was there was a Christian kind of, I think, imperative to say, hey, we have to talk about how we as a country with great wealth can care for the vulnerable. And uh, and I think it was in, it, would, it was important at that point for Christians to, to speak, and that didn't necessarily align with the conservative line. Um, so I think it is worth saying that different uh, issues do play in different ways. And so I find I did the ABC's vote compass tool recently and I, I sit nowhere near either major party because <laughs> I have, you know, um, uh, ethically, oh, sorry, um, morally conservative views because of my Christian faith, but I also have, uh, yeah, genuine kind of care about issues to do with the vulnerable and refugees and um, so social type issues. Um, and so I don't fit anywhere near either of the policies, which both the major parties, which makes my voting life quite challenging for this mm. weekend. Um, 
But I also think there's probably more, more to it as well in terms of the history of the Conservative side. Um, I think um, having watched some of the, the, the just the, the rise of, of socialism throughout the 20th century uh, and some of the issues that came around with communism as it, as it kind of took hold in certain parts of the world, I think, uh, and some of the, the, the tyranny that came with that, I think Christianity... Um, rightly condemned some of that and um, saw a, a small government uh, um, view, which is typically expressed by conservatism, uh, as more appealing. Um, maybe you want to say more on this, Jack. I feel like I've, I've spoken for a while. I've got some more thoughts, but I might try to <laughs> you just to get your thoughts on this for, at this point. Yeah, like I think you can speak, you know, whether it's kind of right or wrong is kind of one question, but I think explaining the history is maybe a little easier. Mm. That I mean, partly the you know, the story of the Western world is uh, we came from a world hundreds of years ago where Christianity was the norm and everyone was Christian. Um, so mm. in a sense, you know, anyone who wants to um, change that narrative and, you know, change the morality that has been, which is, you know, that's sort of by definition what progressivism and leftism is, that's going to be moving away from a more kind of Christian ethic, whereas the conservatives who want to hold on to what we've had because what we had was Christian in the past, that's that's why you can see why on the moral side, at least, there's, there's a drive towards conservatism from the Christian world because of the history because of you know West is moving away from Christianity that's that's part of it there yeah like on the economic stuff I think that um like the sort of what we call like the Protestant work ethics part of the picture that um since the Reformation Christians have had this biblical drive to want to encourage work like work is this good godly thing that contributes to human flourishing and the Bible has various passages that talk about the, the goodness of contributing and, and working and you know um earning to provide for your family, to be able to give something to poor, all those sorts of things. So that kind of small government view, which um, puts more of the onus on making society happen to, you know, private individuals who are conducting business, mm -hmm. like that's kind of what a, a Christian sort of argument for like a more conservative economic kind of system would look like. Um, there's all sorts of issues with that as well. Like, I'm, again, I'm not trying to collapse it and say it's simplistic. I think everything you've said before is, is important as well. Like there's, there's good goodness to the, the look to the outside and the refugee that's all going to be part of the picture as well but um that at least i think is a little yeah. about why the divide yeah. looks like it does typically and i think yeah. it's worth saying though at that point what we've described there is a more of a classic conservative position which is quite different i think to the question mentioned hard right mm. um and uh, hard right is a, is a very different thing but it often gets um tied up now with the word conservative um hard right often brings in issues like nationalism and racism and uh you know, all, all kinds of evil things that we've also seen in the past have been quite um, bad for the world. Um, fascism, you know, it was more, you know, often on the right side of politics and is, is rightly condemnable as well. And so, yeah, I, I hope people aren't hearing that as we talk about some of this history that we're sort of... Um, because, And I think particularly in the last 10 years, the word conservative has become one of those words that you throw out to sort of label someone in order to silence them. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think what we're trying to do here is just try and explain some of the history behind a more classic kind of um, conservative view on things. Um, yeah. Uh, but again, I, I want to just reaffirm that I, I'm not sure that where the labels currently line, line up uh, fit any of my positions so I, I i'm a bit stuck as to where i would label myself politically um yeah. currently i'm just i'm genuinely i haven't yet decided who to vote for i know i have to vote for someone um mm. but no one will perfectly represent me so i'm gonna have to vote for somebody who at some point i, I disagree with on them with something yeah and that's yeah i mean you can spend a whole episode just discussing that but um we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll probably leave that there for now 
All right, yeah. keep moving on. Now, we had a, this question come in in a few different ways. I'll try and sum up a bunch of questions saying the same kind of thing. Does protesting a government by attending rallies or some of the means, does that mean that we are disobeying God instituted authority? Can we disagree with something the government institutes to the extent where we might rally against it? And the questions bring up things like climate change and human rights and Christian liberty. Mm. Uh, yeah, is there a yeah. place to protest? Yep. Um, as far as I understand it, protest is, is one of your democratic rights as an Australian citizen, um, protected and legislated in order that you may do it. Um, now, during the lockdown, there was a little bit of um, difference there in that they were for a time um, made illegal. Um, and uh, But generally, protesting is a good form of democratic expression and, uh, in fact, often protected by the police. The police look after them as they march down George Street. Um, and you know stop the traffic for them so i think we, we mustn't say that protesting government is not submitting to them um but once you've protested like i don't know if you pick an issue for instance um i don't know if you were protesting the speed limit on epping road and saying it should go back up to 80 and you can get you know um 10 000 people to march down george street behind your cause you are free to voice that in a protest kind of fashion and shout you know back to 80 back to 80. um but you must drive home on the way home from the protest doing 70 because the law still, still says 70. And yeah. so you're not free to disobey the law just now that you've protested. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well said. We'll keep going on a similar kind of theme. Someone's asked, what about rebelling against authority that is against God? And this person gives the example, uh, Martin Luther in the 16th century, doing the opposite of what the church was saying, setting up a new church. Uh, the Catholic church were the ones with the authority at that time. And they go on to ask, is the horror of anarchy really worse than the abuse of authority or the horrors of the Nazi authority? There we go. We're talking about Nazis. It would happen eventually. Here we are. Uh, you're not allowed to mention them anymore. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, there's two questions there, aren't there? So yeah. maybe we, we split them up and yep. deal with them one at a time. Um, uh, yeah, what, um, Luther, I think interestingly... Um, he, I mean, he's got a great story and it's worth exploring what happened to Luther. Um, he um, was held up, at, you know, in, in the kind of court of the time and told to recant his views under, you know, punishment of, um, of the state. Uh, and he said, you know, unless you can convince me by Holy Scripture um, to change my views, I cannot and will not recant. Uh, you know, here I stand, I can do no other is the great kind of mm. quote that he, um, and he did that knowing he was um, submitting to God, but, but rebelling against the authority, but he was ready and willing to pay the penalty of, of his um, civil disobedience. Um, the cool thing is though, he had a, a friend in high places, one of, one of the Dukes uh, who basically organized to smuggle him out of, you know, they were doing a prisoner transfer and they smuggled him out and captured him and freed him and took him, took him elsewhere. Mm. Um, but uh, in the moment, I think he was rebelling against the authority, but willing to pay the penalty even to death, um, as many of the reformers, you know, Thomas Cranmer is a good example of that. Um, someone who, you know, stood against the authority in God's name and was willing to pay the penalty even of death because they, um, yeah, that they understood that that didn't free them from the, the penalty of their civil disobedience. Yeah, so it's along the same kind of theme. I think we're seeing a few examples, which is quite helpful. You see this you know, rebellion and protest accompanied with this respect that's willing to submit to the consequences if they come. Both those things. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. What about the last part? Anarchy. Is that really worse than... Is no government worse than Nazis? 
<laughs> uh, look, you, yeah, you're damned if you say anything about it. I question that. <laughs> no, yeah. So I, I yeah. tread carefully. Um, and maybe just just let's let's explore the um, the horror of anarchy. Um, mm. I think um, for for us who live in such a law abiding and um, obedient society on the whole, I don't think we quite fully appreciate how terrifying anarchy really is. Um, and I, this, none of this is to minimise that state sponsored violence is also horror, um, but. And, um, and I just want to say that that, that is absolutely correct. Yeah. But anarchy is um, beyond, you know, um, yeah. You, you look at some of the failed states in the world, um, uh, yeah, and you see horrific things uh, happening. Yes, you see them in states, but that's also terrible. Um, yeah, we don't have to compare badness. Like, you know, correct. it's not a competition that can be worse. They're both yeah. awful, yeah. And, and it's worth saying, you know, um, the previous section of Romans, you know, um, what did it say? Hate what is evil. And I, and I think we want to say that anarchy is evil as, as is state-sponsored terror. Like, that's mm. awful too. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what more to say on that one. Not much more to add. Like, I think they're both yeah. terrible. Yeah. So pray for good government yeah. that will bring order. Yeah. yeah. All right. Keep moving on. Uh, in the sermon, you indicated that Peter was okay to do Acts 5.29 um that's you know we're which is we must have god not, not humans yep yep uh because romans 13 warns that we'll be judged if we go against authorities i assume the application for us is a matter of wisdom then uh and then we got sorry we're coming into a few covid kind of questions so that's where this gets applied mm. the question starts here um if we feel strongly that meeting in person is mandatory we like peter can be romans 13 compliant and continue meeting in person in the event of another lockdown as long as we acknowledge we may be arrested, because we're saying like, yes, we are going against this authority, even willing to be judged. Um, it's a long question. That's that's probably enough. Yeah, I hope that gives yes. you the thrust of it. Yeah, I mean, um, maybe you could. I I did use that as an illustration on Sunday, and I made the point that I didn't think that civil disobedience in that in those instances was correct uh, because there were other legal avenues available to us to, to get that law overturned, which ultimately prevailed. Mm. Um, and that was, it was right for the time while we sought that out to meet, we, you know, um, we did meet as much as we could uh, during that time. I mean, obviously it was virtual and remote, much like this conversation, and it's not as good as being in the flesh. True that. Um, uh, but... I think that was the right approach. If at that point the government had turned around to us and said, no, we refuse to let you out because we don't like Christians meeting, as I said on Sunday, then I think there is the line for where you, you might say, well, we must obey God and not, not humans, as you know. But I think to do so earlier would have would have been to bring the name of Christ into disrepute. And I think some churches that, you know, or, or religious gatherings that went ahead in contravention of those rules, I think did ultimately. I, I don't think many in the society saw that as a, in that moment when, you know, the threat of COVID was, was you know, real in an unvaccinated population, um, I think that was the right choice of the church to submit to authority at that point. Yeah. Lots more, again, another whole episode there thinking about that, but there's some good principles there. All right. Yeah. Um, we have a number of questions left, and unfortunately, I am about all out of time for this conversation. Okay. Uh, there's one more I'm keen for us to get to. Uh, if we haven't got to your sure. question yet, I, I apologize. Uh, we... 
We really strive to get to every question, but we just had stacks coming this time. We hope there's been enough here for you to chew on thinking about how we might relate to our authorities as Christians that might, yeah, hopefully there'll be principles that you can bring to the particular question you had as well. Let me ask this last one though, Sam, because this is a significant one that's really important for us to talk about, I think. Uh, yeah. Since Paul tells us to submit to authority, and this person says, for example, the New South Wales government, and the New South Wales government has a policy against coercive control in relationships, why does the church persist with complementarianism, which takes away wives' personal independence and autonomy and replaces it with submission to husband, which meets the definition of coercive control? And this person goes on, while complementarianism spouts that it's balanced because husband had to lay his life down for his wife and lead humbly, domestic violence stats within the Anglican church, validated at General Synod recently, suggest that that may be tokenistic. Do you want to comment? Uh, sure. Look, thank you for the comment, the question with it. Um, I can hear in this the way that comment is, uh, question is, is worded. There sounds like there's some emotion in that. And, um, and I just want to, you know, reach out and say um, we're always open for a conversation. And I appreciate answering a question like this on a podcast may not get to the heart of whatever's going on for this person. And I just want to say, whoever you are, we love you. And we, you know, we'd be open to talking to you. Um, we, we are, um, you know, uh, we, we're very open to dialogue on these issues. Um, so I, I'll, I'll have a shot at saying some things, but I, I just want to acknowledge the limitations of answering on a podcast this kind of question. Is that? Yeah, helpful. thank you. Yeah. Um, what can we say? Um, what can we say? Um, I think we want to affirm with the New South Wales government that domestic violence uh, and uh, any kind of, you know, taking away personal independence and autonomy and those kind of things, uh, yeah, uh, we, we want to condemn that um, in the strongest possible terms. Um, there was a question specifically about domestic violence in last week's question time at night church, um, which I took some time to answer um, in light of hating what is evil. And, uh, you know, I, I encourage whoever to, to go back and have a listen to that um, where I speak about domestic violence more, more fully. Um, and I'd also just want to, you know, encourage as, as, you know, we have signs up on our toilet doors at church or all kinds of things that there is no place for that in um in relationships, marriages, or otherwise. Um, so uh, the stats on this, I think, are, are, are real and um, show a real problem, not just with the church, but with our broader society. Um, and uh, I think it's it's worth seeing the evil of uh, that that, that um, any kind of in intimate partner violence um, is, and condemning it in in the strongest possible terms. So yeah. um, I, I want to say that, um, and I would want to say that because because people um, pe people who commit these kind of crimes, I think, justify them in all kinds of ways, Christian or not. Um, and uh, there is no justification for, for domestic violence. But if someone was to choose a, a doctrine of, you know, of Christianity and say, this is my reason for doing violence, I think we want to say that's an, an improper expression of that, of that doctrine. Um, and just because it's being used improperly doesn't mean that the whole thing should be um, should be removed, uh, yeah. but that we should call out when things are being used improperly and um, we, we need to keep doing a better job than that. And so I hope that you're hearing me say there is no place for that no matter what. Um, and I don't think that submission, um, and, or, sorry, the doctrines of complementarianism do lead to coercive control, um, and, uh, not, not, by, not by nature. Um, I, I think uh, sin leads to coercive control and abuse leads to coercive control, but I don't think that, um, yeah, the doctrines surrounding complementarianism um, lead there by necessity. So, I don't know, do you want to add anything to that, Jack? 
I think there's lots that needs to be said, but I think you've covered the things I'm, I would be keen to say. Uh, maybe the only thing to add is if you're if you're keen to think about these kinds of things a little more, you might be interested in engaging with the, the complementarian stretch nights that are going on at church at the moment. These are focused mm. a little more on uh, men and women together in the church as opposed to men and women in marriage, but uh, those nights are still seeking a look at the biblical texts which put forward this complementarian picture of men and women as both beautifully, wonderfully made in the image of God and equal in dignity and yet given different roles. Uh, next one of those, I think Raj sent out an email about this today, that uh, the next one of those is coming up on June the 2nd. So that might be a thing that you'd be keen to engage with if you want to think deeper on what the Bible is saying about this picture and why we think that it's a good thing given by God. Mm. Yeah. Lots more that could be said, but we're, we might leave it there for now. Okay. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Sam, I thought it might be good as we finish. Uh, this is probably going to be coming out on Friday on the, the eve of the federal election in Australia. So I was wondering if you might be happy to close for us by praying, praying that as we go out to, to vote and as our country votes, that these kinds of principles we'd be thinking about would be shaping how we do it. Can do. Let, let me pray. Um, Father, we want to thank you that you are the one who established authority and you do it for our good because order is a good thing and living in a disordered and anarchic world is, is uh, yeah, some, something that is not good for us. And so we thank you for your provision for us. We thank you that you are the one who brings ultimate justice and we thank you that no matter what the state of our, our governing authorities might be, one day there will be a reckoning that you bring as you bring justice for all. And we, we do look forward and pray, pray forward the day that, that Christ returns and the world is brought before his judgment seat. But in the, in the meantime, Father, we just want to thank you for the, the government that we have uh, here in Australia and the, the system of constitutional democracy that um, has served us very well in many ways and the, the wonderful freedom and, and life that it, that it gives us. Um, Father, we pray for this weekend as a, as a government is elected and we pray that you might um, oversee that as you sovereignly do and cause uh, those who form government to do so in a way that commends what is good and uh, brings punishment for what is evil. And we pray, Father, for us as we consider and think through how we will exercise our, our right to vote, we pray that we would do that uh, thoughtfully and uh, in, in a godly way and a way that thinks through your your heart for our country and father we pray that you would help us um, when the result is announced to be full of respect and honor for whoever it is that forms government and then make it our duty to uh, encourage and pray for them to speak about the issues that matter and father that we might be as your people um, lights in this world who live in submission to the laws of this land and uh, Father, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to, to live in the light in this really important area. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well said. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for taking us through that. And thank you to all of you who have sent in questions and listened. And we hope and pray that this is going to be a help to you as you seek to keep growing and being transformed by God's word. Uh, we will catch you on Sunday. God bless and see you then. Beautiful. See you later.